0: come down to oral questions, the first, and then over the Right Honourable uh, Chris Hipkins. Thank you Mr Speaker. To the Prime Minister, does he stand by his statement, we also
1: want to see steps made towards a ceasefire? Uh, yes, yes I do, and like everyone in this House, uh, I am absolutely appalled by the human tragedy that has unfolded in Israel and Gaza since the 7th of October. And I just think the images on our TV screens are incredibly distressing and confronting for all of us as New Zealanders to watch and I especially regret that the parties have not been able to agree a further extension to the recent pause in fighting. Supplementary, Mr Speaker,
0: does the Government support calls for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in the war in Gaza? If not, why not?
1: Well, we would like to see a ceasefire, uh, but in order to achieve a sustainable ceasefire, as the Member well knows, both sides actually need to be able to do so, Uh, and that means that they both have to agree to be able to put down their arms they both have to actually agree to cease fighting across the whole area of the conflict in Gaza and in Israel. And both parties actually need to commit to a political process and a peace process to resolve their differences. And both sides need to take those steps in order to get those conditions in place. Supplementary, Mr.
0: Speaker. So is it the government's position that New Zealand should only call for a ceasefire once it's already happened?
1: No, I've been very clear. We would like to see a ceasefire, but it requires both parties to actually make that a sustainable action and ceasefire.
0: Supplementary. Does the government support an immediate, durable and sustained humanitarian truce as called for in UN Resolution 2712? Yes, we do. Supplementary question.
1: What's the difference between that and an immediate ceasefire? As I said, we, would, we want to see a, a ceasefire that takes place. It requires conditions on both sides to be adhered to, uh, as I've outlined.
0: Point of order, Mr Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I asked the member what the difference between what the government does support and what it doesn't support is, and he hasn't addressed that.
2: Supplementary
3: question? No. Hang on, I'm ruled on the point of order yet. Well, it's this is my first one. <laughs> uh, that, that, unfortunately, is the, the, um, the lot of anybody asking an oral question. Supplementary, Mr. Speaker. No. 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 No, no. I called him.
0: I called him. Supplementary. What is the difference between an immediate, durable and sustained humanitarian truce and an immediate, permanent
1: ceasefire? Look, as I've said before, we would like to see an enduring, sustainable ceasefire. We would all like to see that in this country. But the reality is, for a sustainable ceasefire to take place, you need both parties to agree to it. The Honourable Winston-Peters, could I
2: ask the Prime Minister as to whether or not the New Zealand government, the new government, added its name to the UN statement, and wouldn't any informed member of Parliament in this country know that?
0: Yes, we did. Uh, Chris Hopkins. Uh, why? On, right on Chris why won't the New Zealand government call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire when more than sixteen thousand people have died, the great majority of them civilians, and that is continuing as we speak? Yeah. As I've said,
1: we would all like to see a sustainable ceasefire, but it actually requires, it will urge all parties to actually make the conditions to make that happen. And for that to happen, and for that to happen, we actually need to see, for hostilities to cease, Hamas needs to actually cease its attacks on Israel, needs to stop exploiting civilian infrastructure and using civilians as shields. It needs to locate and release all the remaining hostages. And on the other hand, we actually need to see Israel respecting the laws of humanitarian law and war. And we even need to see, we need to make sure that they're actually ensuring that innocent civilians are being protected they need to make sure that their civilians have access to food and uh, fuel and resources and medical supplies and we also need to make sure that the essential uh, loss of the loss of life that we saw in the north doesn't take place in the south so there are responsibilities on both sides of this equation there are responsibilities on both parties to make sure we get an enduring sustainable ceasefire
3: uh, Thank
4: you Mr speaker Is he concerned that under his watch Aotearoa is failing to meet our legal obligations to act to prevent genocide, to protect the rights of children and to act in the interests of global peace and security where war crimes are alleged? That's to act.
1: We have supported UN resolutions and we will continue to do so. We are calling on both parties to actually come together to make sure that we get a sustainable ceasefire in place
3: come now to question number two in the name of Catherine Wedd.
5: Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance. What recent reports has she seen on the New Zealand economy? <laughs> it's going to be a whole lot better, though. Mr Speaker, the reports I have seen confirm that our government has inherited very challenging economic conditions. <laughs> struggling with a cost-of-living crisis and persistent inflation that has been outside of the Reserve Bank's target range for two and a half long years. (laughs) The official cash rate is at its highest level in 15 years, pushing mortgage interest rates over 7%. The Government books are in deficit and are burdened by more debt than at any point since 1995. Average tax rates for working people have risen, and in the past year, per capita growth completely stalled. Mr Robertson, it's time for policies that back growth and investment, that reduce the tax burden on working people, and that restore discipline to government spending. And that's exactly what our government will do. Mm. Supplementary. What state does the pre-election economic and fiscal updates suggest the books are in? Terrible shape, Mr Speaker, the pre-election economic and fiscal update showed that New Zealand is expected to run a deficit of $11.4 billion this year. Since 2017, growth in government spending has vastly outstripped growth in revenue, driving a very large deficit. Previous promises made by the outgoing Minister of Finance to reduce government spending after the pandemic, those promises were broken, with government spending this financial year substantially higher than at any time during the pandemic, including periods where large parts of the country were locked down and businesses forcibly closed, having inherited strong surpluses in 2017. The previous government delivered years of fiscal deterioration and our government's job will be to deliver the necessary repair. Supplementary question. What reports has she seen on the outlook for Kiwi dairy farmers? Well, Mr Speaker, I know that that member and many of her constituents understand that farmers remain the backbone of this country. And and they finally have a government that is committed to reducing the burden of regulation that was piled high by the previous one. Dairy farmers across the country will be pleased with the news today uh, that Fonterra have increased their forecast farmgate milk price by 25 cents to $7.50. Better times ahead. Supplementary question: uh, yeah, good. Has just, um, she s- just
3: wait till I actually call you? If that's okay. So, Catherine Weed.
4: Oh <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Has she seen ANZ's latest business outlook report, and what does it indicate about the mood
5: of New Zealand business community? Oh yes, I have, Mr. Speaker. And uh, our government might have inherited challenging economic conditions. But clearly, our election has given many reason for hope because ANZ's business outlook shows business confidence is already higher than at any point during the last government's tenure. In fact, it is at its highest level since March 2015. This is obviously an indictment on the last government's disregard for the business community. But furthermore, it is an endorsement of this government's plan to bring costs down on business, remove unnecessary regulation, deliver tax relief, and beat inflation. After years of stagnation under Labour, there is a big job to do. For six years, Kiwis have felt the pain as our country's economy has crawled along under the weight of a red tape loving, big spending, big tech taxing, fiscally reckless government and I am proud to say that we now have a government that is committed to getting our economy back on its feet.
3: Order. Uh, point of order. Point of
0: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Just wondering if the Speaker's rulings that have been applied consistently over many years that governments cannot ask themselves a question for the purpose of attacking the opposition is still in
3: place? Yes, that's, um, that's quite right, and uh, I'll be more vigilant uh, on future occasions
6: supplementary.
3: Uh, the Honourable Grant Robertson.
6: Uh, can the member tell the House, sorry, the Minister, tell the House what the projected net debt for New Zealand was in the preview that she mentioned in her supplementary question?
5: Uh, Mr Speaker, what I can tell the House is that <laughs> what I can tell the House is that net debt has gone in New Zealand, government debt has gone from £5.4 billion up to 100 border,
6: Grant Robertson. Speaker, I, I asked Grant a specific Robertson. question uh, of the member. She clearly doesn't know the answer to that specific question. She's now using that question to attack the opposition that is against many Speaker's rulings in the past.
3: Well, that may be something you anticipated, but she was only less than 10 seconds into that answer. Well, it, 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 I didn't take it as an attack, so um, I've asked the, member, the Minister in her answer not to make an attack on the opposition. It's not appropriate. Uh, to stick to the facts, the facts always speak for themselves. Uh, Nicola Willis.
5: Uh, net debt uh, in the pre-election fiscal update can be found in the pre-election fiscal oh, update, and and I wonder if the member paid as much attention. I wonder if the member paid as much attention to that figure when he was spending New Zealanders' hard-earned money with wild abandoned as he is today in this House. And if only he had, Mr Speaker, then we wouldn't be in a position where our debt as a country is higher as a proportion of our economy than at any point since
3: 1995. Thank you. Uh, the right one Winston Peters?
2: But I ask the Finance Minister as to whether or not all the recent economic and inflation evidence suggests that Labour on their own... Couldn't run a proverbial, and you you know what? No, that's, that's
3: not a question. Not a question. It is. A, it's an interesting question for you, but not for the house. Uh, call on the honourable Marama Davidson.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister: Does he stand by all his government statements and actions?
1: Uh, yes, I do, and particularly my statement yesterday that New Zealand is under new management. Uh, And that we are here because we are the parties that can get things done for New Zealanders. Um, And we are focused on three things. Rebuilding the economy, restoring law and order, and delivering better outcomes for New Zealanders.
7: Does he stand by his commitment to remove the ban on new offshore oil and gas permits? And if so, does he agree with the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment that a thorough analysis of the costs and benefits of removing the ban should be undertaken before any legislation is introduced? Uh, Yes, I do. Is he committed to the principles in his coalition agreements of rigorous cost-benefit analysis and basing decisions on data and evidence? And if so, does he accept the advice of the International Energy Agency from 2021 that, if governments are serious about the climate crisis, there can be no new investments in oil, gas and coal from now.
1: Yes, yes, we do support rigorous cost-benefit analysis.
7: Is the International Energy Agency's expert scientific and technical analysis wrong?
1: It's very obvious to us that New Zealand needs transitionary energy sources, and gas is a good part to doing that.
7: What would he say? to Vanuatu's climate change minister, Ralph regan Vanu, who said in relation to his government's plan to reopen oil and gas drilling, quote, we call on them not to do it. To be in line with Paris, the 1.5 degree target, the science says you cannot do new fossil fuels.
1: We're deeply committed to delivering on our climate change goals and commitments, but we believe that gas is better than coal.
7: Does he agree with Christopher Luxon, CEO of Air New Zealand, former, that, quote, we risk losing our social licence to operate if we do not genuinely address climate change, end quote. And if so, does he accept that reopening oil and gas drilling would mean failing our Pacific neighbours and our mokopona?
1: I agree. Christopher Luxon's a very smart man.
6: I call on the Hon. Grant Robertson, question four. Mr Speaker, my question is to the Minister of Finance. Will the tax cut package promised by the Government in the speech from the throne be self-funding? If so, what specific revenue measures will be used to fund it?
5: Mr Speaker, yes. I continue to seek advice from officials on the implementation of tax changes as part of the budget process. I am still receiving advice on tax policies, and the details of any specific revenue measures the government may choose to pursue are yet to be finalised.
6: Your question, Mr. Speaker. Uh, can the minister confirm her earlier statement that revenue from rolling back the previous government's smoke-free policies will be used to fund the tax cut package?
5: As I say, I am still receiving advice on tax policies and I do not attend to get ahead of final government decisions.
6: Supplementary question, Mr Speaker, Can the Minister confirm her statement made to the media that revenue derived from rolling back smoke-free changes will be used to fund tax cuts, or has her position on that changed?
5: Right, we, we consider a range of issues around tax on an ongoing basis. And information about those will be released at an appropriate time. Said one Grant Robertson on the second of May twenty twenty three. The difference between my approach and the Minister's approach is I'm not hiding a sneaky wealth tax or CGT when I answer these questions.
6: Mr Speaker, supplementary question. Is she now regretting saying that the government's tax cut policies would be paid for by rolling back the smoke free law changes?
5: To, to quote a member of this House I admire very much, one Judith Collins, I regret very little.
6: Oh supplementary. <laughs> so, that was actually Edith Piaf, if I remember uh, correctly. <laughs> um, supplementary question, on what date will New Zealanders know how she is paying for the tax cuts that she has promised them?
5: They will know in due course, and I'm sorry to say it, but I doubt that the member will be the first to know.
6: <laughs> uh-huh. So she can she confirm that she is telling the House she doesn't know how she's paying for her tax cuts and she doesn't know when she's only going to be able to tell New Zealanders what kind of tax cuts they will get or how they will be paid for?
5: Uh, Mr Speaker, as I said in answer to the primary question, which the Member may not have listened to, yes. The tax reduction package promised by the Government in the Speech from the Throne will be self-funding. And I'll tell you what else it will do, it will put real cash into the bank accounts of working people, bank accounts that have been eroded by a cost-of-living crisis, presided over by that member who overtaxed them, spent their money badly and left the economy in tatters. Uh, question
3: number five, Debbie
7: Ngārua-Rewa-Paka. To the Prime Minister. Does he stand by all of his government statements and policies?
1: Uh, yes, I do, and in particular, our commitment to lifting educational achievement uh, by removing distractions like cell phone use in the classroom to ensure that young people receive the quality education they deserve and lets them live the life that they ultimately want.
8: Uh, supplementary question. Uh, yeah, yeah, wait on,
3: wait on, I'll call you,
1: eh? kia
3: yeah, ora. You've just said uh, you want to call. Just do it again, Mr Speaker.
1: Tēnā to Te Pika.
3: Uh, I call uh, uh, Takuta Ferris. Tenakwe. huh? Yep, sorry,
1: mate. Uh, he tāpire nga aku. Ka tū māia ia ki kaupapa here kia tūkuna te tiriti o Waitangi. Kia hai kia hai here, kia porting e te motu whānui. Me te iho ki te he. Me te kino ka whaimai muri. Does he stay by the policy to leave the door open to a referendum on Te Tiriti or Waitangi, knowing full well the division and chaos that that will cause. On what we have agreed as a government that we will uh, pursue a Treaty Principles Bill to select committee, and that's as far as it will go. Supplementary. Uh, A a point of order, Right Honourable
0: Chris Hipkins. Mr Speaker, with all due respect to the member's question, I think he was asking about a referendum, not about a Treaty Principles Bill. Uh,
3: well, does the prime minister wish to say more to that uh, that question? Uh, we have not committed to a referendum. Good.
7: Supplementary.
3: Uh, Call cool, uh, apologies here. Uh, oh, taku
7: Tena koe How can he stand by the decision to disestablish te the Aka the Maori Health Authority, when it is an ag- an example of Tangata Whenua stepping up and being the solution to p- persistent inequalities in health outcomes.
1: Because our government is determined to see improved outcomes for Māori, but we don't believe the Māori Health Authority is the best way to deliver that. Supplementary. Uh, Called uh,
3: Maria uh, Kapu. koe. Uh,
7: um, what is his response to experts... And child protection, who have made it very clear that removing Section 7AA from the Oranga Tamariki Act will lead to many more Tamariki Maori being severed from whakapapa an outcome that is inherently harmful and assimilationist. Uh, tēnā te pāte, tēnā koe.
1: Oh, the primary responsibility for the state to look after vulnerable children is to make sure that their well-being comes first and foremost above everything else. Call Hannah uh, Rafferty, uh, Maipe Clarke.
4: E Tepika no te atana tika ngā parahoe hei tūraki ite ture aiwhi kore o aotearoa e kōkiri na ite ao kāmu tu kote oranga o te iwi Māori hei utu inga tāke o te hunga fai rāwai. How can he justify scrapping Aotearoa's world-leading smoke-free laws, sacrificing Māori lives to fund tax cuts for the wealthy?
1: Uh, we're not. We're going to make sure that smoking rates continue to come down each and every year, as they have done under successive governments. In the last decade, Smoking, daily smoking has gone from 16% down to 8%. Our government will continue to drive that down.
3: Thank you. We come now to question number six, uh, Laura Trask.
5: Thank you, Mr Speaker. To the Minister for Workplace Relations and Safety, what is government policy on fair pay
9: agreements? Mr Speaker, and National are both strongly opposed to fair pay agreements. When the law was introduced, both parties opposed it, and both campaigned to repeal it in the first 100 days of this government. As a government, we are committed to acting quickly to remove this law before any fair pay agreements are finalised and the negative impacts are felt by the labour market. Fair pay agreements would reduce choice in workplaces and undermine the flexible labour market which has underpinned New Zealand's economic success for the past three decades. Our government believes the best way to introduce the wages of workers is to improve productivity and reduce regulations so businesses have more money
3: to pay staff more. Supplementary. Call on. Uh, okay. You just got signed in, sorry. Sorry? I've got
5: Supplementary. Sorry?
3: Camilla Bell. sorry, my apologies. I
7: don't
3: recall.
4: Yeah. agree with the statement she made on 6 December when she said, I don't actually believe that fair pay agreements would help low-wage workers increase wages, or does she agree with the advice that she received in the regulatory impact statement that stated the main cost of repealing the FPA system would likely fall on employees and that they may have benefited from increased wages and improved terms and conditions of work.
9: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I agree with my statement, and I also agree with the recommendations from MB's regulatory impact statement before the Fair Pay Agreements legislation was passed, where MB recommended against introducing Fair Pay Agreements.
3: Come now to question number seven.
5: Supplementary. Uh,
3: Apologies. Apologies. Laura Trask.
5: What economic impacts does she expect if the Fair Pay Agreement Act is not repealed?
9: If any Fair Pay Agreements were finalised, the increased costs would have greatly affected a range of businesses up and down the country, regardless of whether they could have afforded them. This would have increased prices for consumers and could cause business closures, which is worse for employees. I don't consider that a blunt tool will help our labour markets, for either employers or employees. Workers could have been negatively impacted, for example, if employers chose to hire fewer people or reduce hours of work due to high costs that they face. Laura What reports, if
5: any, has she seen on the impact of fair pay agreements on businesses?
9: Many businesses submitted on the introduction of fair pay agreements, concerned about the impacts that they would have. I have a few examples. Horticulture New Zealand said, quote, this will be a burden on the government to administer and compliance check yet again another regulatory instrument being imposed on business. Most business will likely have to employ additional resource to administer the regime, where their margins are already very stretched. The Federated Farmers of New Zealand said, quote, Employers are facing an ever-increasing range of compliance and the accompanying costs following the difficult period of the impact of COVID-19 and the likelihood of an approaching recession. We are concerned that as employers face ever-increasing administrative complexities and costs, some business owners will be forced to downsize or simplify their business to avoid employing people, or some close the doors entirely. There are many more.
3: Good. Remedy is always useful in an answer to a question. The Honourable Dr. Aiselle Verrill, question number seven.
10: Mr. Speaker, my question is to the Minister of Health and asks why did he delegate responsibilities for the Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Act 1990 to the Associate Minister of Health, Honourable Casey Costello, and why has he not made any delegations to other Associate Ministers of Health, Honourable Matt Ducey and Honourable David Seymour?
11: Goes Dr. Ritty. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the current delegations I have given to the Associate Minister of Health, Honourable Costello, give effect to the Coalition Agreement with New Zealand First. I can assure the Honourable Member that the remaining delegations will be finalised shortly. Okay. Run, 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 run. So,
10: so, Mr. Sp- so can the Minister confirm that when setting the delegation to the Associate Minister, Honourable Casey Costello, is there an expectation that she repeal the 2022 amendments to the smoke-free environments and Regulated Products Act 1990, either directly or by reference to the National New Zealand First Coalition Agreement, and if not, why not?
11: Uh, the uh, Minister expressed an interest in the delegation, and I agreed.
10: <laughs> <laughs> why, then? Did the Minister request his associate repeal a law that would save over 8,000 lives, extend Māori life expectancy and save billions in health care costs? Yeah,
12: yourself.
3: yeah, I think the problem with that question is it makes a whole lot of assertions that are not currently in front of the House. So I think uh, the should might, might like to consider rewording that supplementary.
10: Mr Speaker, why did the Minister request his associate repeal a law that was shown in modelling select, submitted to the Select Committee would save over 8,000 lives, extend Māori life expectancy and save billions in health care costs.
11: The point of order Bishop. We're in a bit of difficulty here, Mr Speaker, because the, the primary question, as worded, is actually about an extremely specific and narrow area of the Minister's responsibility. It's actually about the process of delegation for the responsibility of a specific Act to a specific. Associate Minister, and the Minister's question is straying into the substance of um, uh, the actual uh, law that, that, that's potentially at issue. If the Minister wanted to ask about that, she should have put a question down about that law. She didn't.
3: Well, sure, that's the case. Uh, speaking to the Honourable the, the, um,
0: the Member's question is simply elaborating, seeking elaboration on the last answer that Dr. Ritty gave.
3: Uh, look, um, the, the question does need to come much closer, the supplementary to the primary question, uh, notwithstanding that, that that may have moved slightly from Dr. Uh, uh, in, in the Health Minister's response, but not as far as perhaps Mr. Hopkins is suggesting. Ashimil.
10: Mr Speaker, is it the Minister's expectation of the delegation that the Associate Minister will repeal the 2022 amendments to the Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Act And therefore, cost, as per the regulatory impact statement and evidence at Select Committee, over 8,000 lives, losses to Māori life expectancy, and billions in healthcare costs.
11: Uh, To the member, it is my expectation that the minister will fulfil her duties under the delegation.
3: supplementary, right, right Honourable Mr. Peters. Could I ask the minister,
2: was the 2022 target smoke free, smoke free at 2025? at the end of it, which is not too many months away from now, was it ever zero smoking or 5% smoking? And what sort of fraud target is that?
11: Uh, To the minister, uh, the target itself, through all the documents I've seen, were unlikely to be achieved, even with that government's proposed policies.
10: Did he consider his obligations under the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control to keep tobacco industry influence out of government, Before making the delegation to to the Honourable Casey Costello, who has previously chaired the Taxpayers Union, an organisation reported to receive funding from tobacco companies? Uh,
11: I I considered all the required responsibilities when I made the delegation, and the Minister has full confidence
3: in the Minister. Thank you. We come now to. Well, can I just say to the member that that question was really quite a long way uh, from where we need to be. Uh, well, the, the question, the
0: primary question, is about a delegation from one Minister to another. That's right. asking, asking about potential conflicts of interest in a delegation is absolutely in order.
3: Oceanville.
10: Uh, Next question, Mr Speaker, or to the point of order?
3: No, no, you're, you're going to ask a question, I hope.
10: Did the Minister delegate responsibility to the smoke, for the Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Act because he doesn't want to answer to the Cancer Society, the Stroke Foundation, the New Zealand Nurses' Organisation, Whānau Order Commissioning Agency, the Secondary Principals' Council of New Zealand and his own professional college, the College of General Practitioners, not to mention hundreds of other organisations that have condemned his actions.
3: i come now to question number eight, Grant McCallum.
0: My question is to the Minister of Energy and asks, what recent announcements has he made on the Lake Onslow pumped hydro scheme? Mr.
12: Speaker. The
3: uh, uh, Minister for Energy.
12: Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week I announced that the Coalition Government had axed the former Government's hugely wasteful $16 billion Lake Onslow scheme. This decision fulfils another commitment under our coalition government's 100-day plan. Labour's pumped hydro scheme was a vanity project and their intention to press ahead with it. No one cares about the project. That's correct, Mr Jackson. But with, with it, with it was threatening the market-led investment needed to offer New Zealand the best chance of ensuring energy security. Okay, our government's this is decision as
3: close as anyone would want to go using uh, a primary question in this case to attack the opposition. Um, I'm sure the Minister is well capable of answering other questions related to this. A supplementary. Grant McCallum. What reports has he seen on the Lake Onslow Pumped Hydro Scheme?
12: Mr Speaker, I've seen a number of reports on the Pumped Hydro Lake Onslow Scheme, including from Contact Energy Chairperson Rob McDonald, who warned that this scheme would have a chilling effect on robust renewables investment pipeline in New Zealand.
0: Great, um, has the Minister seen any other reports on the cancellation of the Lake Onslow scheme?
12: Yes, Mr Speaker. I have also seen a report in the press today where Labor's energy spokesperson and the former Minister for Energy and Resources uh, has said that Labor is rethinking its policy on this scheme. A
3: supplementary of the Honourable Megan Woods.
7: What is the dollar amount of savings of cancelling the investigation into pumped hydro?
12: I believe it's over 60 million dollars but under but under that but under that former government they don't care about taxpayers money they wasted money every single day on business cases consultants reports and if they'd continued it would have been $8,000 per household at least for the 16 billion dollar scheme they proposed. Grant McCallum,
0: what are the Government's next steps to ensure energy security?
12: Well, Mr Speaker, the first priority was to scrap uh, this Lake Onslow scheme within our first 100 days. Our next steps are to cut the red tape and to recognise the nature of the energy problem facing our country so that we can double renewable energy by 2050. Yes. Axing the Lake, Lake Onslow scheme and our coalition com- Government's commitments to allow natural gas to function as a transition fuel will give our energy sector much greater confidence to invest in the dry year solution and keep the lights on.
3: Thank you. come now to question number nine, uh, Jenny
7: Thank you, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Foreign Affairs and asks, Uh, does he have any concerns about the Scott base redevelopment in Antarctica?
2: Right on, Winston Peter. Quite right. That's exactly how I started it, and that's why this is a very serious answer. Yes, we do have some serious concerns. Since the Coalition Government took office last week, we've been briefed by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade on serious cost escalations. Does it sound familiar? On serious cost escalations, now that they're all by themselves serious cost escalations that the Scott-based development project has undergone under the previous Government 2020 to 2023. No, he's walking right into it. He's leading, he's leading with his chin. He wants to know how did it start off. Well, here we go. Yeah, that, is, that is on top of the nearly $200 million additional funding the Labor Cabinet approved in December 2022. We are looking at the situation with urgency and have sought advice. As to why Antarctica New Zealand has not yet been able to reach an agreement with its preferred contractor, here we are, four years on, nothing done again, and how the uh, project—we get into that. Keep asking supplementary questions. I've got it all worked out, and how the project can be brought back within the funding envelope that was originally agreed when somebody was in charge and knew what he was doing. We have also questions around Antarctica New Zealand's management of the project. And We intend to get answers to those questions in the weeks ahead, and also raise the issue of what happened to the private funding idea, or did, you, or did the Minister of
7: finance to scare them off? Uh, how much are the cost overruns, and what caused them?
2: Uh, sadly, a repetitive story. In Budget 19- 2019, <laughs> at that stage, indicative costs of the redevelopment... Listen to this, we're 262 million, with Cabinet also deciding that Antarctica, New Zealand would raise 50 million through private sponsorships. What happened to that was, of course, that the government went on, one party governing by itself, and what a mess that was. Unbelievable. Unleashed with no experience, no understanding of business, couldn't run a corner dairy, they did this. In April 21, the previous government, that I'm screaming out now approved $344 million to cover the full cost of the redevelopment of Scotts Base. And in December 2022, an additional funding package was approved, bringing the total government commitment to, listen to this, $503 million. Just, just like that, doubled it. So on returning to government, we were appalled to learn that $250 million has doubled and a vaccine is not taken will continue to rise. The previously agreed $50 million sponsorship has also disappeared. A decision we're going to find and get to the bottom of. We have now been advised that yet more additional funding may be required to complete the project.
7: Supplementary.
3: Yeah, just before we do, I think you've got to moderate those answers. That's a very long answer. I was struggling to stay with it. And I think... think, And I I represent the general public here. (laughs) Um, Jenny
2: Michael.
7: Supplementary. Uh, What are the next steps...
2: Yeah. Mr Speaker, I, under- I, un- I understand your qualification, but misery often takes a long time to spell out. <laughs> Look, various options have been considered by Antarctica and New Zealand, and we've made it clear to officials that we will only consider options that are costed to remain within the overall project budget that was originally agreed and as close as possible to the initial timeline of delivery, because time costs money, and we are concerned at the terrible waste in future potential delays.
7: Supplementary. Jenny uh, why is New Zealand redeveloping Scott
2: Base? Speaker, it may not seem so important, but the reality is it's a redevelopment project important to this country's strategic national interests. We're committed to ensuring Scott Base is an effective, safe and sustainable place, a place a base for globally significant science, working with partners such as the United States, the flow on impacts to New Zealand and the rest of the world of this scientific research is critically important. But the project must be completed in a cost-effective and timely manner which respects the hard-earning money of Kiwi taxpayers and no more outsiders think they can rip the taxpayer off because the people doing the auditing don't know what they're doing. Like that
3: man over there. come now to uh, question number 10 in the name of the Hon. Willie Jackson.
8: Mr Uh, Speaker, to the Minister of Māori Development. uh, Is he committed to the goal of achieving one million speakers? of Te Reo Māori by 2040.
13: I
3: call the Honourable uh, Tamu Potaki.
13: I am committed to encouraging as many people as possible to learn and speak Te Reo Māori, Te Reo rangatira. Oh.
8: Oh. Oh.
13: Yes. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful Mr Speaker, beautiful.
8: Uh, Mr Speaker, to the Minister, why is this Government attempting to cut courses mm. along with other Māori initiatives then? That are designed to grow
13: Te Reo speakers. Mr. Speaker, there are many ways for people to learn Te Reo Maori on the marae, in the kōta, even here in Te Whare Paramata, Wananga Lake Tau to Wananga Point
8: of order,
3: Mr. Speaker. Um, I don't think
13: the, the point of order, yeah.
8: m- Mr. Speaker, I don't think the question was even addressed.
3: Well, it certainly was addressed, and. Uh, the question was relating to how people might learn. You certainly got an answer.
8: Thank you for that clarification, Mr. Speaker. Any time. Listen up. Any time. Listen up. Mr. Speaker, supplementary.
12: When people never learn,
8: isn't Has the minister advocated to the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance to support uh, or, or to stop plans to reduce the pay of public service with Te Reo Maori expertise?
3: Okay. Well, you've got to get that accurate. I think you, you just. Well,
8: I can do just, it against uh, Mr. Speaker,
3: no problem. Just have, have another shot at it. Oh,
8: okay. Uh, Mr. Speaker, to the minister has the minister advocated to the prime minister and the minister of finance to support or stop plans to reduce the pay of public service uh, with Terrell expertise. Sorry, Mr. Speaker,
13: public service. Oh, that wasn't the bit. You got mm. the other bit right. Come on. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, can I I please have that part I read out again so I understand what it is? Yeah, most certainly. Sorry about the interruption.
8: Thank you again, Mr. Speaker. Has the minister advocated to the Minister of Finance uh, in terms of her strategy around stopping plans to reduce the pay of public service uh, public servants, I should say, with Te Reo Māori expertise?
13: Mr. Speaker. We were elected to get the economy back on track and are aspirational for Māori and New Zealanders. To the extent which I am am able to, I understand that the Government is reviewing all allowances across the public service. Mr Speaker, uh, Mr Speaker, is the Minister going to
8: fight for Māori? Or is he going to cower to the whims of the Minister of
3: Finance and Minister Seymour? Honourable Willie Jackson, that's an out-of-order question, so... You have another go, get it in order. Mr Speaker, can
8: the Minister commit to Māori that he will not cut any further initiatives that are designed to preserve te reo?
13: Mr Speaker, I am committed to advocating and speaking te reo Māori every day.
8: <laughs> order, Mr Speaker. Point of order, Mr Speaker. I didn't even touch that question, I didn't even address it.
3: Well, it. it as, as, you know, as you know, as you know, all speakers sitting here will say that if someone answers a question, they are addressing it, and that's uh, pretty clear in speakers' rulings all the way along. Uh, as far as the uh, – and I've been on the end of questions feeling a little bit let down like yourself, but that's nonetheless the answer that's been given. So the question – no, of course it's not. No, don't get like that. Um, the, um, sorry, private conversation there. <laughs> Uh, so the Minister may wish to say a little more
13: about uh, ongoing intentions. <laughs> we come now to... Sorry? This is a point of
3: order? Supplementary. Oh, supplementary. By all means. To the Minister of Māori Development. Will the Minister beyond te reo
8: Māori, support pueru Māori, art, weaving, costume making, given that Parliament has been presented with a headdress upon the
3: leader of the Māori Party's head, which uh, looked like a mutton bird. Sorry. Uh, Nice try, not flying. Um, Question number 11. No, no. Question number 11, Katie Niman.
14: Uh, Mr Speaker, to the Minister of Education, what reports has she received on student achievement? Mr Speaker, the 2022 PISA results released this week show a decline in the performance of 15-year-old students in maths compared to 2018 and confirms the long-term trend of declining achievement in core subjects. Supplementary. What do these results show? Mr Speaker, these results show us that our education system has continued to deliver declining outcomes for learners, but our our government has a plan to turn this around. Supplementary, Mr Speaker. Katie Newman. Does the government have plans to change this? Mr Speaker, we certainly do. In our first 100 days, the coalition government is moving with urgency. We are removing distractions from classrooms by banning cell phone use during the school day in order to lift engagement, achievement and importantly well being. We also uh, will ensure students at primary school receive at least an hour uh, one hour of reading, writing and math throughout every day. Supplementary Mr Speaker. Katie Dumman. What else is the government doing to turn around the declining levels of achievement? Mr Speaker, this is just the very start. Our Teaching the Basics Brilliantly policy builds an important foundation to ensure young people receive the high-quality education they deserve that allows them to live the life that they want. Our Government will ensure that we have a knowledge-rich curriculum, consistent measures of student progress and structured literacy in every primary classroom.
3: Thank you. Come now to question number 12, Garaman?
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, to the Minister for Foreign Affairs, will he lead the government to join the United Nations Secretary General, the International Committee of the Red Cross, and the majority of New Zealanders, according to a recent poll, to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza? And if not, why not?
11: Mr.
2: Speaker, in the eight weeks since Hamas unleashed its shocking attack of terror in the people on the people of Israel targeting civilians, including young children, we have witnessed a devastating level of human suffering and loss of life. As in today's motion, we can all agree that a ceasefire, a permanent cessation of armed hostilities, would be the ultimate outcome we all seek. No one in this House wants this conflict in the Middle East. But for a durable ceasefire to be viable, the parties must take urgent steps towards establishing a ceasefire. But we recognise that getting to that point is not straightforward. Simply calling for a ceasefire does not make one a reality. That's why we're calling on all parties and all countries with influence in the region to take urgent steps towards establishing a ceasefire now, permanently.
4: Supplementary. Does he acknowledge the deaths of over 16,000 Palestinians, more than 7,000 of whom are children, and that the disproportionate targeting of civilians can never constitute an exercise of the right to self-defence.
2: Mr. Speaker, we are concerned about such reports. They raise serious questions about whether international humanitarian law is being fully observed. Accountability for breaches of international humanitarian law is crucial. Whether these have been committed requires a decision from a competent judicial body, such as the International Criminal Court, and it is not for me, to comment on specific cases without the facts and evidence. We support the gathering of evidence of possible war crimes for an international criminal court process.
4: Supplementary. Does he acknowledge the verified targeting of journalists, doctors, nurses and medical facilities and entire civilian neighbourhoods and that this can never constitute an exercise of the lawful right to self-defence?
2: Mr Speaker, of course we acknowledge that, but we also wonder why there is such an absence of the mass assault and massacre on the 7th of October this year. Why we are hearing just one side of the story is what a lot of people with balance and fairness want to know.
4: Supplementary. Does he acknowledge the restriction by Israel of aid corridors into Gaza, which has left over 2 million people without adequate access to water, food and life-saving medicine? and that cutting off of humanitarian aid to civilians is considered a war crime and therefore can never constitute the right to self-defence.
2: Mr. Well, Speaker, for a trained lawyer, coming to a conclusion on a case before you've heard the evidence laid out for you is not a sound way of behaving. That's what a legal training means. You first hear the evidence and then Against the precepts of principles and precedents, we then make a decision. Not to make a judgment without any facts before we come to that judgment.
4: Supplementary. When will Aotearoa take a strong international position calling for the prevention of genocide, as is our obligation pursuant to the Genocide Convention, to protect the rights of children? as is our obligation pursuant to the UN Convention on the Rights of Children, and to act in the interests of global peace and security where war crimes are alleged.
2: As in the previous answers, when we have seen international bodies charged with the conclusions that might arise from such an investigation, coming to those conclusions, and not beforehand by making allegations without again laying out the factual evidence or the balance of the 7th of October this year, when out of left field with no information or forewarning at all, so many, hundreds and hundreds of people have lost their lives and then people are, were made hostages. And again, we want to see balance and fairness when we approach these international issues and not just one side of the story. It brings to a close
0: question time. You've been listening to a replay of this afternoon's Question Time. We're now rejoining the Star Network.